Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. So Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Thank you, Dave. Good morning, everyone. It's a great day to be in church, isn't it? I'm glad we both think so. Thank you, Paul. I think it's a great day to be in church. Hey, there were two greyhounds once sitting in a cafe having a coffee, as greyhounds do. And one of them said to the other one, you know, I had the most incredible experience yesterday. I was at the races. I was race number seven. I was competing as dog number seven. And I was, the race started, I was coming last. And then all of a sudden I felt this like a, a tingle right through my whole body. And I just ran really fast. I passed everyone and I won the race. And the second greyhound is quite amazed. He says, you wouldn't believe it. The same thing happened to me last Saturday. I was at the races, race number seven. I was dog number seven. Halfway round, I was dead last, and I just had this like surge of power through my entire body, and I just bolted past everyone, and I won the race by a length. There was a horse on the next table, and the horse turned, and he said, excuse me, guys, I, I couldn't help overhearing, and I just wanted to share. I've had the same experience just last week. I was at the races, and race number seven, I was horse number seven, coming dead last, and it was like this a lightning bolt of power just hit me, and I just raced past everyone. I won the race by seven lengths. And the two greyhounds are amazed. They look at each other, and one of them shakes his head. He says, I don't believe it. A talking horse. <laughs> anyway, that's a pretty average way to try to, to try to introduce the fact that sometimes amazing things happen in life. And, uh, and some people live extraordinary lives. I remember in year eight, science reading about a guy called Louis Pasteur and all the things that he had invented and it was, it was pretty amazing and about the same time for fun in the library I started reading a, a book about a guy called Don Bradman and I was, I was in awe of this guy just how good he was statistically by far and away the best cricketer who has ever lived just so far ahead that no one even you know compares 
And I've always enjoyed reading the stories of people who lived amazing lives. For whatever circumstances, people like Anne Frank, who may not have achieved anything extraordinary, but because of the circumstances of the world around her, it's just great to get an insight into her life. Political figures like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Nelson Mandela. Other Aussie sporting heroes like Stephen Waugh and Dennis Lilly, Adam Gilchrist, one of my personal favourites, Margaret Court, Betty Cuthbert, people who have achieved extraordinary things. And the more you understand about them, the more you appreciate their achievements. Some of the great Christians of the last century, people like Eric Liddell and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and C.S. Lewis. But by far and away, the most inspiring story, the most inspiring life I have ever read about in terms of influence and accomplishment and legacy, by far and away one life stands out, and that is the life of Jesus Christ. As recorded in the four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and also referred to in various other historical documents. But Jesus, his life, his teaching, his influence, his legacy, his impact is beyond compare. And some of the most, sometimes people's words mean even more when you understand the life behind them. And some of the most famous words that Jesus ever spoke are recorded in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've never read Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, that's the the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've never read them before, I encourage you, go home and and read them because they're amazing words. If you have read them before, read them again because they're powerful. In fact, of all the recorded speeches in human history, political, religious, sporting, whatever, the Sermon on the Mount is widely acknowledged as one of the most powerful, one of the most influential ever in history. And so today we're looking at just one small section of that Sermon on the Mount. As Luke just read the last four verses of what Luke read, and I'll just read them again to you so you know exactly what we're working through today. Verses 13 to 16 from Matthew 5. Jesus talking, and he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. If you've been here at church the last few weeks, we've been looking through the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, a passage that is called the Beatitudes. And it's a pretty amazing way to start a sermon. And if you read through just the first uh, few words of each sentence, it can be quite surprising when Jesus says, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the persecuted. It kind of doesn't really sound like what we expect, does it? It reminds me of a sign I once saw in a shop window. It said, Lost dog. Matted fur. Only three legs. Missing one eye. A bullet hole in one ear. No teeth. Answers to the name of Lucky. But, so it's quite surprising, but the more we examine the words of Jesus, the more they make sense. So we need to understand today when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, who exactly is he talking to? Now, if you've read the Gospels, you'll know that Jesus had great crowds of people used to follow him wherever he went because he could heal people and everyone would come for healing and they'd bring their friends and they'd bring their neighbours and the lame could walk, the blind could see, the deaf could hear. It was amazing. And sometimes people would follow Jesus out to the wilderness and they'd be there all day and then there'd be no food and so Jesus would 
miraculously produce a whole bunch of food out of a very small amount and, and feed everyone. But today, Jesus was talking to his disciples. As Luke read at the very start, he went up on a mountainside and his disciples came to him. These are the people who have chosen to follow Jesus, not because they're going to see miracles, not because they're going to get a free feed, but just because they want to sit and listen. There's nothing in it for them, but simply what they can learn. These are the people who have chosen to be in the presence of Jesus. That's who Jesus is talking to today. And for most of you, the fact that you were in church this morning indicates that you also have chosen to be here at church with God's people, hearing from God. So Jesus is talking to you. I know some of you are only dragged along by your parents or you know, here out of curiosity, and that's okay. Everyone is welcome. But I think Jesus is talking to most of us here today when he says, you are the salt of the earth. Notice he doesn't say, I wish you would be, or you have the potential to be. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus had also just warned people that they could be persecuted because of him. And these are the people who have who are still chosen to sit there and listen to him and knowing that they might end up being persecuted because of being a follower of Jesus, but they have still chosen that. We can be persecuted for all sorts of things in life. The colour of your skin, your age, maybe even the footy team you support. But Jesus is not talking about any of those things. Jesus is talking about blessed are you when you were persecuted because you were my disciple. And Jesus says to those people, you are the salt of the earth. If you want to know what difference salt can make, go down to KFC for lunch, buy two packets of chips, one pack with no salt, one pack with extra salt, and you will have in your hand the worst chips in the world and the best chips in the world. (laughs) And that's the difference that salt can make. And to, to refer to someone as the salt of the earth is a huge compliment. You might have heard the phrase yourself when you meet those you know, faithful, generous, hard-working, kind-hearted people and people say, oh, he's a great bloke. She's a wonderful woman. They're the salt of the earth. This is a huge compliment. And in, in the time of Jesus, salt was a very valuable commodity. In fact, the, the, the dominant culture and empire at that time was the Roman Empire who had conquered all of Europe and parts of the Middle East. And for centuries, the Roman Empire ruled And Roman soldiers were sometimes paid in salt because salt was so valuable. You might have heard the the expression, he's not worth his salt. That would refer to a soldier who hadn't earned his pay. So salt was valuable. Nowadays, we mainly use salt for seasoning, to improve and enhance the flavour of something. And they would have used salt for that then as well. But salt's primary purpose in those days was as a preservative. This was before electricity, no refrigeration. Nowadays we put some meat in the freezer and get it out whenever we need it. But they would have to salt the meat to preserve it. And so Jesus is saying that his followers should bring out the goodness of life. We should preserve against decay. And if we look around our world today, we see moral decay. And so Jesus' followers should prevent that. We should bring joy to situations of futility. We should bring purpose to hopelessness. We should preserve purity even in the midst of decadence and self-indulgence. We should preserve honesty and truthfulness in a culture of lies and deception. The people of God should be doing good, should be making the world a better place, fighting against evil and corruption 
And if we look around at our world today, we see exploitation. We see people being victimised and misused and abused. And we should stand up against that. One example that comes to mind is the whole sex industry of prostitution and pornography, pedophilia. Christians should stand against that so that people are treated equally and fairly, regardless of their gender or their colour. Now, God's people do have a history of doing great things. An enormous amount of charity organisations were started by Christian people, for Christian, built on Christian values and for, for the specific purpose of doing good and being the salt of the earth. But not all charities were founded by Christians. See, anyone can do good, so the Christian life is about more than just doing good. As I said, anyone can do good. And just a couple of weeks ago, I was reading about how some members of the Collingwood Footy Club, some members of their cheer squad, went to Zimbabwe over summer and visited an orphanage. That's that's a good thing to do, isn't it? There was even a quote with the article. It was a great experience to meet a group of people who have suffered so much and have such such little hope in life, said one of the orphans. (laughs) Uh, It took you a while, I thought. Anyway... Had me worried. Anyway, so Jesus warns us not to lose our saltiness because he says we lose our value. Now, to understand fully, obviously, sodium chloride is sodium chloride and salt doesn't lose its saltiness. But where Jesus lived, as most of you would know, he lived in what we now call the state of Israel, close to the Dead Sea. So there were two kinds of salt. There was the pure salt that would come out of the ocean and the salt from the Dead Sea was often contaminated and, and diluted and mixed up with these other chemicals. It looked like salt, but they had no value whatsoever. And sometimes farmers would get a pile of the, the dud salt you know, at the back of the house because it had some salt in it and maybe they could sprinkle it on their land so that the salt would do some good, even though the rest was just rubbish. But every time it rained, the good salt would be washed out and all you were left with this pile of white chemical powder that was utterly useless. In fact, the only thing it was good for, it had no nutritional value to the soil, literally the only thing it was good for was to sprinkle it on the ground and trample on it because it became hard and it would make a footpath. So when Jesus says, when you lose your saltiness, you're only good for being trampled on, people would have known exactly what he was referring to. So Jesus warns us not to lose our saltiness, not to lose our Christ-likeness, or we become useless and good for nothing. Jesus goes on to say, you are the light of the world. Some people find this confusing because in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. But when you read all the verses, it makes perfect sense. In John chapter 9, Jesus says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But then when Jesus left to go to ascend back into heaven in Acts chapter 1, he said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses. And that is the same for us today, all God's followers. We are his witnesses, his representatives here on earth. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes, it's no longer, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So all God's people, we now are the light of the world. We represent Jesus here on earth. In a physical sense, as you all know, the sun is the light of the world. The sun gives light and life and warmth wherever it goes. But when the sun is out of sight and and giving warmth to another part of the world, another part of our globe, we have the moon. The moon doesn't give off any of its own light, but the moon reflects the light of the sun. And on a clear night with a full moon, you don't even need a torch outside because you can see very clearly simply by the reflected light of the moon. 
In a spiritual sense, the Son is the light of the world. S-O-N, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And in his absence, his followers become the light of the world. And just as people cannot look directly at the physical sun because it is so bright and so glary, so also we cannot look directly at God because he is so holy and so awesome. But when we see him reflected in the lives of other people, that is what our, our role, our job as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Whatever light we can shine is only a reflection of his light. But if people are not looking at Jesus, then whatever they see in us is the best they're going to see. There's an old song that says, Your life is the only Bible some people read. And it's a great challenge for us as God's people to reflect the light and the love of God. John chapter 1 says, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. The darker the night, the greater the need for a light. And we all know when we look around at our world today, we see violence and hatred and division. We know this world needs light. This world needs hope and truth. Our world needs to know about Jesus. Jesus uses the analogy of a city on a hill. If you've ever been out in the country at night and you see a a town or a city on a nearby hill, you'll know how it just lights up. It is easy to see. You also know that that city is not made up of one light. It is a whole bunch of lights together that forms a big bright light that is easy to see and guides your way. So one single light can make a difference in, in one room or to one person or in one small group. But a whole bunch of lights is so much more effective. And so we need to combine, we need to unite, we need to work together. Because each one of you, chances are you might be the only light in your family, in your workplace, in your neighbourhood, in your sphere of influence. And that means you need to shine your light as brightly as you can. But it is great for all of us. We're all better off when we can work together and create a huge, big light that is bright enough for the whole world to see. Light illuminates. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 119 describes God's words as being a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. So Jesus says that you are the salt, but if we lose our saltiness, we're, good, we're no use for anything. And Jesus says, you are the light. And he says, do not hide your light. He doesn't call us into the secret service. He calls us to be his ambassadors, to be a light. And then the final phrase of this passage, Jesus says, so they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, he's not saying, so they may see your good deeds and pat you on the back and say, what an awesome bloke. What a wonderful woman. The salt of the earth. Good on you. It's not for our, our praise or our glory or our status. Our purpose in life is to bring glory to God and to bring other people closer to God. So that is why we do good. One personal example, which uh, some of you will relate to. As you know, this church owns a block of land just down the road, and we are truly blessed. This block of land was donated to us, and we plan to put up a church building, hopefully in the next couple of years, where we hope to use that building as a blessing to our community. Now, my family and I, we're doubly blessed because we get to live there in the meantime as caretakers of the property until such time as um, we can start building the church building. So that's great. That's the good news. 
the complication is that the, there's a creek over the back fence and our local council and the water board, they want to take some of the land, maybe about 40 metres off the back, um, well, to prevent against flooding and to use it um, for other purposes. And we knew that might happen when we bought the land, so that's all good. The hard part is that, to the best of our knowledge, what we have been told, that they, don't ha they have no intention of paying us for that land. In fact, they, they plan for us to make them a contribution for the privilege of having them take the land away. So I don't know about you, but I, I get frustrated. I get annoyed about that because I obviously the more that land they take, it greatly reduces what we can do with our building and we have all of these ideas of how we'd love to bless our community and the less land we have, you know, we have to downsize and limit and that's frustrating. Just a couple of weeks ago, I got up one morning and I opened the blinds and I looked out the back over the land and as I do most mornings and normally I, I thank God for that land and I pray for whatever God can do with that land in the future. And this particular day I was thinking about you know, the negotiations with the council and I, I prayed, Lord, let good come from this situation. Now in my mind, I've got to be honest, in my mind a good situation was the council says, actually you can have all the land, do whatever you want, don't, don't pay us anything and build a bigger building and do more good and that would be a good outcome. And I would say, thank you Lord, that's awesome. But as soon as I prayed that prayer, Lord, let good come from this situation, it was like God gave me instantaneously a little bit of an insight into how he might see the situation and what he might see as a good outcome. See, I think to God, people are more important than property. I think to God, a good outcome would be that people at the council see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. And even though I still think it is right and just that we you know, do our best to get justice and to use as much land as possible and that we get, get adequately compensated for it. But over and above that, I think even our witness is even more important than our land. And so I felt greatly challenged as I prepared this passage that to see things through God's eyes, our influence on people, to be a light, to represent God well so that people will see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. The role of a disciple is to be salt and light. You'll notice there are no restrictions to the size of this task. You are the salt of the whole earth. You are the light of the whole world. I just want to make a few other observations about salt and light because they're, they're very powerful analogies. Salt makes no difference unless it is in contact with something else. Salt doesn't improve the flavour of your potato unless you actually sprinkle the salt on Salt doesn't preserve your meat unless you actually mix the meat with the salt. So we must be in contact with the world. We can't just shut ourselves off and just have nothing to do with the world. Jesus says we are in, or the people use this phrase, we are in the world but not of the world. And Jesus says we don't, he doesn't want us to be like the world, but we do need to be in the world, shining our light, being salt, making a difference. So we do need to be relevant. The world needs salt because it is corrupt and decaying and the world needs light, a spiritual light, because it is in darkness. With salt, each single grain has some influence but the more the better. And the same with light, each single candle or globe makes a difference but the more the better. Salt works secretly and light works openly. 
Salt works from within and light works from without. Light is the good news of the gospel and salt is the influence of the gospel. And God's people should be both salt and light. And the truth is we are salt. We are the salt of the earth. The only question regards our usefulness as salt. And the truth is we are the light of the world. The only question regards our effectiveness as light. And one final thought. When Jesus talked about persecution, some of you may be nervous about persecution. Some of you may be followers of Jesus and you think, yes, but I'm actually pretty scared about what might happen. And let's be honest, in other parts of the world for centuries, in fact, ever since the time of Jesus, Christians have been persecuted. Here in Australia, we've had it pretty good, but times are changing and um, persecution isn't too far away. Maybe you are not a follower of Jesus and you know that Jesus was this incredibly significant historical figure and maybe you know deep down that you know this guy who claims to be the son of God and then rose from the dead maybe probably deserves your attention but you're thinking, no, I'm not going to get hated and criticised and bagged for it so I'll just take my chances. So a couple of facts, wherever you are, just to think about. The Old Testament was written before Jesus before his life. In fact, the Old Testament doesn't mention him by name at all, but it is filled with prophecies about a Messiah, a Saviour who is going to come. In fact, scholars believe there are 316 different prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. Do you know how many of those prophecies were fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ? 316. What are the odds? Amazing, isn't it? Some of them was only after the fact that they realised it was even prophetic. But I am extremely confident that if 316 prophecies could all be fulfilled in the life of one person, that all the other prophecies, the Bible, both Testaments have a whole lot of other prophecies about the future, about the second coming, about the end times, about judgment day. And I'm extremely confident that those prophecies also will come true. And I've read the Bible, and I know plenty of you have, and the Bible is very clear, unequivocal, no doubt about it, God wins. Okay, We know there is a devil, we know he hates God and he hates Jesus and he hates the followers of Jesus and he's out there, he's going to try and make our lives miserable. But God wins. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. He is the name above all the other names. And we can have great confidence that even though we may suffer through this life, that God's prophecies will come true. And I don't know about you, but I would rather be persecuted in this life and have eternity with God than the alternative. So, a word of encouragement. So we are called, as God's people, to be the people of God, to be salt and light. People's reactions may vary. Some of them will see our good deeds and will praise our Father in heaven. Others will hate us and insult us and say all kinds of horrible things about us and persecute us. We cannot control the outcomes or the responses. We can only control our actions and our obedience. And to come back to the starting point about extraordinary lives, we may not live. We may not do something incredibly extraordinary that people write books about. Chances are some of you will achieve extraordinary things in life, but not all of us. But we are are all called to serve God, to be a light in our situation wherever God has placed us, to be his witnesses, to shine our light. We are the people of God, 
So let us live up to our title and to our calling. May God bless everyone who reflects Jesus to the world. And may God bless you as you shine your light. Let's all pray. Father God, it is a privilege to be your children. We know you've given us an important role to play as salt and light in a dark and decaying world. We pray for your strength, your wisdom, your inspiration. May everything we do bring glory to you. In Jesus' name.